I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Alright, we are going to have fun today because we are talking about dun, 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 the Inquisition, which simultaneously is never expected or suspected by anyone and also is an amazing show. And if you get both of those references, well, then you are my people and you have my sense of humor. And I am, I'm terribly sorry for that. You, you're a bad person too. So, <laughs> But in all honesty, when you talk about the Inquisition, it's, um, it's difficult. Very, very difficult to say the least. And the reason why I say that is because, one, there isn't just an Inquisition. There were Inquisitions in various countries. There were Inquisitions at various times. <coughs> Excuse me. And on top of that, the records of the Inquisitions are, um, how should we put this? Tainted? Maybe tainted would be a nice way of putting it. There's a there's an idea in history, as, as someone with a bachelor's degree in history, don't ask me why. Um, there's an idea in history that is somewhat accurate, that has to be dealt with, is that history is typically written by the winners. Which means anytime you get an account from someone about a battle or a war or a, or a genocide of any kind, it is typically written by the people who survived it. And typically those survivors are the winners, especially when you go back a few hundred years. And, and, and this is one of the advantages of modern technology is that, one, there are more survivors, and two, there is more documentation from multiple sides and angles of various events. But when you get into history, and we're talking here six, seven, eight hundred years ago, you're talking about very few historical sources and very difficult. Very, very, there's very much difficulty in discerning just how objective and fair these sources are. And I've said this before when we've gone through this series. That when it comes to church history, you have to be comfortable with a little bit of ambiguity. So I point that out now because when reading Protestant sources, the Inquisition was like, uh, it was Maleficent and it was Darth Vader and Satan all rolled into one. Okay, that's basically what the Inquisition was. So just the biggest, baddest, most evilest thing you can come up with, multiply that by ten, that was the Inquisition. Well, when you read modern historians on the Inquisition, they go, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. And the reason they say that is because they've got access to more uh, Roman Catholic doctrine, uh, documents. They have had papal archives opened, and they can read some of the sources of the inquisitors and the witnesses and the magistrates. And it's like, well, you know, when you read it like this, it's not that bad. And it probably isn't when you read it like that. However... <laughs> Name me a good reason why the Roman Catholics would write down how awful it was if it was bad, and I will go with they wouldn't. Now, since human depravity is always in effect, and human nature is unfortunately undefeated in the sinful realm, I err on the side of the historical understanding of the Inquisition. So, what are we talking about today? Again, I don't have a singular martyr, because the martyr that we have is not a person, but it's an idea, and it's a very, very important idea that once lost is really, one, hard to come back from, two, hard to recover, and three, 
hard to maintain a Christian testimony when these ideals are lost. So, the Inquisition is really not a persecution of Christians. It was a persecution of truth and of righteousness and of justice. It was a persecution of everything that is right, true, good, and beautiful because it is a corruption of all of those things. So let's run. I will try to make this case in, in a minute, but let's let's run down some of the uh, some of the points first, and that'll help make sense. Okay, so. What we're talking about right now, because we are still in that high Middle Ages period, is the Papal Inquisition. So this is inaugurated somewhere around 1230, I think the official date is 1231, by Gregory IX. Now, because you have a dual system, you have the Roman Catholic Church operating as a government, but also still trying to operate as an ecclesiastical body, you have this idea that they don't want to put anyone to death, and they don't want to have the blood on their hands from any execution. So you have a cooperation with civil authorities. So we've mentioned before that the church is becoming a civil authority and operating as a civil authority. When the church recognizes this is bad for PR, they begin to cooperate with civic authorities so that they themselves are not seen as the big bad boogeyman in all of these things. Now, the executors of this papal inquisition were the Dominican monks and the Franciscan monks. The Dominicans actually kind of make sense coming out of the Counter-Reformation and some of the work along with the Jesuits, but the Franciscans, go go tell Francis of Assisi that his monks down the line would be participating in the trial and execution of heretics, and I'm, I'm not really sure good old Frankie was on board with that, but you know, it is what it is. What would a trial in the Inquisition look like? Well, beyond for, before that, you have the structure. So you would have a Grand Inquisitor, somebody who's in charge. A trial would have three judges. My favorite is there would be a financial supervisor, someone to assess values of property and make sure fines were paid and things like that, because that was actually one of the one of the caveats of the Inquisition is the higher your social standing, potentially, the more at risk you were of being convicted because the church could then confiscate your property and goods and use them for, air quotes, church business. There were, of course, civil officers and jailers, you would be provided a lawyer for the accused, whose really only purpose was to make sure you sat there and shut up. And then there would, of course, be an executioner and a physician. The physician's job was to make sure the executioner, during the air quotes questioning portion of the trial, didn't kill you too quickly. And I'm serious about that. During the trial, you would be accused, you would be questioned, and you would then be convicted, typically. Um, there was a there was a structure in place that if there was some sort of feud or animus between the accuser and the defendant that the, the ch charge would be dismissed was, was not very well honored sim simply because that wouldn't have been expedient to the purposes of the Inquisition, which again was not rooting out heresy, but was rooting in power and authority, which is usually most of the problems. Now the reason why I call this a martyrdom of justice, Proverbs 11.1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, you know that verse. It's one of our hallmarks of the justice and righteousness of God. God doesn't like your faulty balances. God doesn't like your crooked judges who take a bribe. That's also in Proverbs. And another thing is this, Deuteronomy 19, 15. 
A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And of course, you know that one too. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because, quite simply, those are principles of justice as they are handed down by God. Justice is done for God. Always catch that. The point of a trial, the point of any accusation, is to honor God. The failure to uphold justice is not a violation of the person, although not primarily, although it is. It is a primary violation against the precepts and concepts of who God is and how he commands you to operate in this world. That's actually the bigger thing. It's one of the reasons why Christians have actually cared about the world in which they live and have actually uh, striven, I think is the way you should pronounce this here, or they have strived for righteousness and justice in the civil realm as well as the ecclesiastical realm. Now, I mentioned earlier that you were basically accused, questioned, and convicted. The typical trial was for show. An accusation typically meant guilt in a papal inquisition. Now, crimes, what were they inquiring about? Sorcery, alchemy, blasphemy. My favorite is reading the Bible in the common tongue. Remember, Latin is the holy language of the Middle Ages. Jerome translates from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into the Latin Vulgate in the 400s. 800 years later, it is the official Bible of the church. It is the language of learning. To handle scripture outside of Latin is unholy and unruly and uncivilized. You must read your Bible in Latin, pinky up, sipping a latte. That is how this is done. It is the only way it may be done. The accused were, <coughs> excuse me, were brought before the Inquisition regardless of age, sex, nor rank of society. And as I mentioned earlier, a high rank in society was probably not good news for you because that meant the church could sit over there licking its chops, you know, at the thought of confiscating your money in massive fines and eventually just executing you and then confiscating your property, which would produce more income even than that. <coughs> now, I keep mentioning you were accused, you were questioned, and you were convicted. The word questioned is doing a lot of work there because by questioning what they would meant is do you recant or do you confess? If you recanted, you probably got a chance to get away with a fine. If you confess, you probably get executed. But you weren't just it's not like they just sat you under the hot lamps like it was a 1970s cop show. You were stretched on the rack. You were burned with coals. One of my favorites is um, they would take a metal chair and strap your ankles and wrists to the chair, like you know, like think like a like a high a wingback type chair setup, and the whole thing would be metal, and you would be manacled to the thing, and then they would light a fire under the seat of the chair and just let it cook. I mean, you imagine what happens, you know, metal chair, you attach to it, fire underneath, metal conducting the heat. Isn't that a fun way to answer questions, hmm? They would crush your hands and feet. They would put it between two blocks like a vice grip and then tighten the screws literally and, you know, crush your limbs. They would pull your teeth. That's one you probably don't even think about. You know, take a pair of, you know, uh, fireplace irons or something like that. Um, let me see. Hooking. Um, no, get your minds out of the gutter. We're not talking about ladies of the night. They would take the soft parts of your flesh, like so, like squeeze in between your thumb and your index finger, you know, that little meaty part where there's no bones. Well, they would take a hook and run it through that area. Or like the spot on the front of your shoulder and before your shoulder socket. They could just run a hook through there. Anywhere where there's soft tissue that there wouldn't be a bone that they could hit, they could just run a hook there and, and then, you know, yank on it a little bit. 
hang you up by it, you know, all sorts of good fun stuff. Dislocating joints, whip you, beat you, call you trash, all the good stuff. They, at the end of this, you were executed, typically by burning. Why burning? Apparently it was popular, it was the way to go, and I don't know, maybe it just eliminates the mess of dealing with the body afterwards. Now, why do I tell you all this? Because you're like, this is not very fun. This is definitely not positive, nor encouraging, and it's a little depressing, actually. And, and I would agree that it is. The warning, though, is the same, because humanity is the same. This is what it looks like. Things like this, this in the Papal Inquisition, are what it looks like when religious organizations, when sacred organizations either, one, borrow from the secular world, or two, forget from whom their mandate and power comes from. Now, likewise, on the other side of this, there are countless heretics, false teachers, and faithful brethren who were executed by the Inquisition. Realize, God is using these evil means of humanity to judge sin, to condemn the wicked, but he is also using them as means to purify his saints and to call them home. In Christian, they don't always look different to the world. But in his kingdom, they are. Evaluate in your life, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? How does it influence my life? And for what would I give up those things? And if you can find that what... You now know the scenario you need to kill. You now know the thing that is your idol that you need to push aside so that it is secondary to the worship and service of God because his Holy Spirit strengthens and his work and will empowers his children to fight. Get into the fight wherever your sin may be. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.